Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Havard. This episode features a virtual visit I did with Sean Gerber of the MCU Fan Show. Sean discusses his fandom and identification with the comic book culture, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, also what it means to be a fan of the MCU, and what the MCU does to help our broader society. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm really excited for you to listen to it. I had a great time recording it. And please, come along with us on our adventure. All right, students, um, welcome. And we have another guest speaker with us um, who's visiting us virtually, Sean Gerber um, from the MCU Fan Show. And he's here with us today um, to talk about kind of his journey um, to comics and Marvel and the MCU and um, what he does with the podcast, what he does with other projects that he's working on. Um, And I reached out to Sean because um, a lot of you have discussed your interest in Marvel and especially the MCU and how you are, um, how that kind of connects to what's going on right now in your lives and society and everything. So uh, without further ado, um, I'll welcome Sean. And Sean, go ahead. Um, You could take it away. Give us a little bit of background on how you got to what you're doing now. Sure. Well, first, uh, thank you for having me and hello to uh, everyone watching. So I've been a Marvel fan since before I can really remember, like I can't remember when I became a Marvel fan. It happened when I was very young. My favorite character growing up was the Incredible Hulk. Maybe that's because I was a little brother and my older brother beat me up and maybe I just thought if I could just get so mad, I'd finally be able to whoop him. That never actually happened, only happens in comics. But anyway, yeah, Hulk was kind of my in. Um, And then I just followed that character and then through that character met other characters and it was not just through comic books though I think initially for me it was also animated series like the 1982 Incredible Hulk animated series uh, as well as Spider-Man, Spider-Man and his amazing friends and then you get into the 90s another Spider-Man series the X-Men series and just pairing all of that with comic books and action figures and just anything I could get my hands on and growing up in the 80s and 90s we didn't have a superhero movie genre. There were Batman movies, there were Superman movies, but we didn't really have Marvel because the technology didn't really exist yet to tell those stories effectively. There were some really bad Marvel movies in like the 80s and 90s, but nothing really good. And then obviously it got going with uh, you know the X-Men and Spider-Man films in the 2000s and some other adaptations. And then the MCU really expanded it because it took characters that didn't really have to have a prominent background in any other form of mainstream media. So you had Iron Man or now like Guardians of the Galaxy and everything we've seen in the MCU over the years. So even though I was a Marvel fan growing up, I mean, the MCU has made me a bigger Marvel fan because there were characters in the comic books that I never really paid much attention to. Like I could not have cared less about Nebula growing up in comic books. I mean, I she was in the Infinity Gauntlet comic book. I knew her from there, but didn't really care about that character. And now I love her as much as any character in the MCU. And then as far as podcasting goes, I've been podcasting for about 12 years now. The first podcast I did was a Batman on film podcast. So I was focused because I always loved Marvel and DC. It's not Marvel versus DC for me. I always love both. And so I started podcasting about Batman first, just because just because that was something that um, you know, I was just happened to be writing for a site at the time that was launching a podcast. And so I uh, launched that podcast, uh, hosted that podcast. And then I wanted to talk about all the Marvel stuff that I love, not just Batman and, and DC. And so I created a podcast called Modern Myth Media, which spun into different projects, including the Marvel podcast that I have now. So it's just been through different iterations, but it's really just comes down to I've always loved this stuff and growing up, it wasn't as cool to like this stuff. So I never had anybody to talk about it with. So now I'm just overcompensating for that by talking about it endlessly on the internet. And what's so interesting to me about the MCU, and I, I know a little bit about the history of kind of what Marvel was trying to do as far as, um, 
getting their characters um, on television or in movies. Um, but for, for the students, um, can you tell us a little bit about why, because there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of the MCU characters or a lot of Marvel mm -hmm. characters that, that aren't owned by now Disney. Right. Um, and so you have characters like the Hulk and Spider-Man that, mm -hmm. um, you know, Disney had to renegotiate with Sony for, for Spider-Man. And you have right. the issue of the Hulk and um, really not having a standalone movie since 2008 um, and having their right. story arc told um, through other movies with other characters where they can exist. And you also have with the theme parks, you know, you have mm -hmm. um, like in Orlando, um, all the Marvel characters are actually at um, Islands of Adventure and Universal. So could you give us a little bit of background as to why um, sure. some of those things happened? Yeah, so starting with the movie side, the reason why Marvel had so many characters licensed in all these places is they went into bankruptcy in the 1990s and part of recovering from that was to sell off movie rights to characters. And because at the time, Marvel was just their own company. They weren't owned by a movie studio like DC was owned by Warner Brothers. So DC was never really gonna be in that position by the time they started making superhero films in a big way with Superman the movie in 1978. So Marvel was in a completely different thing where they had sold off their rights to various characters across all of Hollywood to all these different studios. And so by the time Marvel Studios had formed, now Marvel Studios existed before they were making their own movies, but before they were almost more of a consultant group. Like they worked with the studios that were like Sony and Fox who were making Marvel movies and they gave notes, but they didn't have final say on what was gonna happen in those movies. So when they finally decided to make their own movies, then they had to just basically work off of the rights they were able to get back because Anytime you have you, some, a studio licenses rights from Marvel, they have to use the characters within a certain amount of time or the rights revert back at no cost. And so that happened. Marvel got a lot of rights back, like Captain America and Iron Man. Those were elsewhere and then made their way back to Marvel in time for them to make their own movies. But obviously with Fox being so successful with the X-Men franchise, they didn't have that until Disney bought Fox. With Sony, they did not get, they're not going to give up the Spider-Man rights unless it's going to be for a lot of money because Sony has been actively making a lot of money. So that's why they had to negotiate a sharing deal. Hulk is actually in a very weird position because Disney and Marvel have every right to make a Hulk movie. The problem with it and the reason why they don't is that even though they got the rights back to produce Hulk movies, they do not have the rights to distribute a Hulk movie, meaning that if Marvel Studios made a Hulk standalone movie, Universal would have the first right before Disney to be the distributor and therefore make the money from the film. And so the reason why that ends up being so different and people say, well, why don't they just do what they do for Spider-Man? They let Sony distribute Spider-Man movies. The reason why it's different is because Marvel already has the option to put Hulk in other characters' films and in team-up films. They didn't have that with Spider-Man. So this was what Marvel got in return for making Spider-Man movies that Sony could distribute is they got to have Spider-Man in Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame, and wherever else they put him in the future. With Hulk, they already have that benefit. So it doesn't make financial sense for them to make a Hulk movie that is going to be distributed by somebody else. So that's an issue that has to be resolved. There have been rumors that it has been resolved. I don't know where that's at. Um, the theme park thing is kind of different because similar situation though, where Marvel sold off theme park rights because they weren't owned by Disney. And mm -hmm. so this was all about making money. And those things were kind of in, in perpetuity. So yeah, if it's east of the Mississippi and it's Marvel, or if it was part of that license, then yeah, it has to go to Universal. Disney doesn't get to have it. There are things that are outside of that because they were outside the scope of that original licensing agreement, which is why there's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy attraction in Epcot because Guardians is outside of that scope. Um, but that's why in Anaheim, or in some of the international parks, that's where you get Marvel stuff, but you won't get that from, uh, you won't get that in Orlando unless there is some deal where Disney buys out that license that Universal has. And a few of the things that, that's, uh, being someone who, who writes about rivalry, um, I, I've actually, I, I've tried to read a little bit about the, the 
kind of the relationship between Disney and Comcast and how that influences the theme park rights and the theatrical rights and everything. Um, and it's a, it's incredibly interesting story. And I know, um, you know, there, there have kind of hindsight being 2020 people have, um, sort of been a little critical of Marvel for selling off what they did. However, you know, others say they were just trying right. to, that's basically what they could do. Um, you know, Disney wasn't in sight, um, making no. the, the, the MCU was not in sight. Um, but it, it's really interesting what you said about some of the characters being outside of those, um, kind of deals. And, and I mm -hmm. think it was because, um, as a lot of people have talked about, and I, I've heard on your show, you talked about, and I also heard on a show you were on of, uh, Lou Mangiello's, you're talking mm. about how, uh, the MCU be, is so special because they took characters that people didn't necessarily know. They were not household names and right. made these great stories um, surrounding these characters. So what do you, th what makes the Marvel cinematic universe so special and um, kind of able to do things that maybe some other superhero properties aren't able to do as well i think what makes it special is i mean it's very similar to what made marvel comics stand out in the 60s not that i was around back then but you know what what really reinvented superhero storytelling because it almost died in comic books you know going into the 1960s the the dominant comic books had started to become westerns and science fiction and horror comics superheroes had actually taken a back seat and then there was a huge revival of them with what's known as the Marvel Age of Comics in the 1960s, as well as DC's Silver Age. But the huge thing was the idea of having characters who were relatable. So Spider-Man isn't just cool because he has a cool costume and he fights the Green Goblin. He's cool because he has to do all that and he has to worry about helping out Aunt May because they need money. And I need money and I know what that's like. And so it's giving these characters these everyday problems. So you actually care about Peter Parker just as much as you care about Spider-Man, if not more. And I think the MCU has held true to that tradition, um, starting with Tony Stark. I mean, it's quite a while before you ever see him put on an Iron Man suit, and you are all in with that guy before he ever puts on a suit of armor. And you actually start out not really liking the guy because he's arrogant, he doesn't care about anybody but himself, he doesn't show up to accept his own Apogee Award in the beginning of Iron Man at Caesar's Palace. Like, you don't, it's, not, it's a guy you should not like, but then you see him go through it and you see him realize the error of his ways. You see him realizing how he's benefited from this system of zero accountability and he's actually helped perpetuate it. And he comes to this realization and he tries to better himself. And I think it taps into that when you, if you look at the central theme throughout the MCU, and I think you could find this through line for pretty much every character, at least for the heroes, is they're all trying to better themselves. They all try to discover their blind spots, discover their flaws, hold themselves accountable, and then become better people. And they do it in a realistic way. And I think that's where it's, it also taps into us, whether we're aware of it or not, as we're watching it. But when you think about these different characters, like personal growth is not a straightforward path. And it never is because we are human. We still make mistakes. Even with the best of intentions, we make mistakes. And we can also backslide a little bit into some of our own habits. We might take a few steps forward, but occasionally might take a step back. And I think you see that with Tony Stark several times in the MCU where he's trying to do better, but he makes a mistake in Age of Ultron or he makes a mistake in Civil War and he has to try and do better. And you have a character like Thor where his whole story in the MCU starts out where he's got to get over his pride and his vanity and his need for glory. And he does that throughout so much of his journey in the MCU. And yet in this critical moment in Avengers Infinity War, as much as people want to blame Star-Lord, Thor should have gone for the head. And so when you look at that moment with Thanos, you have to ask the question, why didn't he? And the only answer to that question is pride. It's vanity. Thor needed to say, I told you so to Thanos. I told you I would kill you, which is the exact same flaw. It's just a new version of it. It's the exact same flaw that he had all the way back in the beginning. It doesn't mean he's made zero progress. It just means that he made all this progress, but some of his old habits just creep back and his old tendencies creep back up at the worst possible time in this new way. 
But then, of course, but I think those types of things that allow these characters, even an Asgardian god, is still human to us. And I think that's where we see a lot of ourselves in these characters and in these stories. And I, I think there's something very real about that, as much as some people want to say this is superficial blockbuster popcorn entertainment or a theme park ride or whatever it is you want to say about it. That can't be true if audiences are showing up in bigger and bigger numbers through 11 years, 23 movies, audiences would be burned out. The franchises that tended to deliver and focus more on superficial entertainment, like maybe Transformers, they burned out very, very quickly with a small number of films. The MCU is still going strong after all these movies and all these years. That's because it's tapping into something very, very real with people. And I think that that is what a lot of franchises miss is they miss why you care about the characters that you're seeing on screen. Do you actually like them? <laughs> like, yeah. I think people have this friendship, this familial relationship with the Marvel characters. And I think it's because they know that there's something very, very, there are many things that are very aspirational about these characters, but at the same time, they are not untouchable. We don't think of them as this thing we can't aspire to because we're not perfect. They're not perfect either. Um, but we can still, we see them trying to be better. And I think it's because that's what we, how we want to see ourselves as flawed people who are trying to be better. Yeah. And it, thank you for saying that. that. One of the really interesting things to me is like they, they, the way that they take characters and away from their superpowers, you are engaged with that character. Mm -hmm. um, as you can probably tell by my background, um, I, I'm, I'm a big, Captain America fan. And mm -hmm. I knew very little about Captain America before a few years ago. Um, as I told you, a lot of the students in this class, their connection is the MCU. That's my connection as well. Um, right. So I, I knew some of the comics. I, I don't know if I ever read a Captain America comic. Um, watching the movies, um, the first Avengers, one of my favorite movies. And I know that's uh, a lot of people don't agree with that, but seeing the background of that and seeing how he became who he was and why he is the way he is, um, it's just great storytelling, the way that they're able to kind of link everything. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned familial ties. Um, now that Disney owns Fox, um, right. which opens the door to two of the largest properties in the franchise fantastic four and x-men um and i would imagine because of the stories and because of the movies in the early 2000s uh, well up until recently also um people probably have more of an understanding of x-men um right. that are, are you know exposed to the movies what tell us some about the first family of marvel and kind of how they link to the the rest of the characters and maybe some ways that not we won't hold you to this but maybe some ways yeah. that they could they could be brought in to the MCU because i know that that's where this is all going um in the next few yeah. years yeah i mean as far as how they get introduced in the MCU all i could offer is a random guess because <laughs> there are a million ways to do it and probably half a million of those are really cool. So there are a lot of great ways to introduce the Fantastic Four. You could do this thing where they were kind of lost in space or lost in the multiverse and they return or something like that. Or you could just have, we could just start with their adventure. I mean, the whole idea of, I mean, their origin of going out in space and being bombarded by cosmic rays and that's how they get their powers the setup for that exists in the MCU. Certainly the idea of deeper space exploration, there's incentive to do that after the way Earth and the rest of the universe was attacked in Infinity War and Endgame. So they could do that. They could do the multiverse angle with the quantum realm and all of that. All of those options exist. I think it's more for me about how those characters interact. So just a quick recap, if anybody doesn't know who they are. So the Fantastic Four, it's Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, the stretchy guy, Susan Storm or Susan Storm Richards, the Invisible Woman, guess what her power is. And then you have Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, who just flies around and is on fire. And then you have uh, Ben Grimm, the thing, who's just a big orange rock guy. 
<laughs> so um, with those characters, though, I mean, I think Fantastic Four number one is arguably the most important superhero comic book ever made. The only thing that would be bigger than that would be Action Comics number one, because Fantastic Four, as I said, that's the Marvel Age of Comics is what kept superheroes alive, and Fantastic Four number one is actually what started the Marvel Age of Comics. Fantastic Four, that predates Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk. That was the thing that got Stan Lee reinvigorated. And he's, he, told, he used to tell the story famously of how he was ready to quit writing comics. It was his wife, Joan, who told him, well, if you're going to quit anyway, just write what you want, because then who cares if they fire you? And that book was Fantastic Four, which he co-created with Jack Kirby. So... It's a hugely important comic book, and it always felt like just kind of a, a bit of a bummer that Marvel's first family, as they're called, never really got to be in the MCU because of the Fox thing. So now that they're coming in, I mean, they're a great, it's a great dynamic between all of them anyway, just those four characters, because you have Sue and Johnny, who are, of course, brother and sister, but you have the relationship between Reed and Sue. And so you have this thing that can in very many ways be this corny kind of wholesome family superhero adventure, but at the same time, it's got a total weird sci-fi angle to it, particularly with Reed Richards, who can be a very warm, loving father figure, but at the same time be cold and distant because he's always in his own head about what's going on in the multiverse and the, the, the science of it all. And then you have a really kind of sad, character, sympathetic character in the thing where like, yeah, he'll say it's clobbering time and he'll beat up monsters, but nobody wants to look like a rock guy all of the time. And so there's a lot that kind of allows you to tap into that. But then with the way these characters interact, I mean, Human Torch famously throughout the comics history, but particularly in the 1960s when all this stuff was first starting, has a rivalry with Spider-Man. So if you cast an actor who's similar age to Tom Holland, you can have that rivalry now between Human Torch and Spider-Man. That would be a lot of fun. Reed Richards is part of what's known in Marvel Comics, not that the phrases only exist there, but the Illuminati. So these are like the biggest brains in Marvel who kind of get together and try to look at these huge, otherworldly, multidimensional, multiverse types of threats that, uh, that are coming up and make decisions on how to go about that. And it can be a very controversial, controversial thing in the Marvel Universe because they don't always clue in all the other heroes with as far as what's going on. Now, that, that roster would have to take a different shape because Tony Stark is part of that and Tony's not around anymore in the MCU. But Reed Richards is a big part of that and he could totally be in there. Charles Xavier from X-Men is also a part of that. So when we ta start talking about the ways that these characters can interact, then you get, you know, there's plenty of places that they go within their own franchise and also in other franchises. And then you look at what the Fantastic Four license also includes outside of the first family, Doctor Doom is in that license and Thanos is now the biggest villain in Marvel history because of the MCU but prior to the MCU that guy was Doctor Doom and I think he actually has maybe Joker's passed him by now I don't know but for a long time Doctor Doom had the most published appearances of any comic book villain ever and that's despite being created 20 years after Joker in uh, in the comic book so Doctor Doom is huge and he's a villain for everybody he started as a Fantastic Four villain but he's an antagonist for pretty much every Marvel hero at, at various points, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, various other Avengers. And then of course you go on the cosmic side, you get another big villain in Galactus, but I think more importantly, the Herald of Galactus, Silver Surfer, which is one of the coolest characters in all of comics. And so I'm really excited about that character popping in because he can be part of Fantastic Four, he could have his own movie or Disney Plus series, or he could pop up literally anywhere. Uh, with so much more stuff happening in the cosmic corner of the MCU. And one, um, two things you mentioned, uh, first, the Silver Surfer. That was actually, I guess, my, as a kid, my favorite character. Um, and I didn't really know that much about him, although he looked cool because he was silver and he, he had a surfboard. Um, <laughs> and a kid growing up nowhere near the ocean, I thought that would be yeah. really neat. Um, but you also mentioned... Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. And one thing that's so great about that service is the way that um, it's able to engage fans and able to engage consumers. I mean, you know, aside from um, you look at what they did a few weeks ago, this is um, around uh, July 4th, 2020, when they released. Hamilton and I mean right. just how 
that was a theatrical phenomenon that a lot of people could not consume and now they can um, for right. relatively inexpensive uh, means. And But now with the MCU having several series planned on Disney Plus where they're, and, and I've kind of read where they're giving sort of their secondary characters that don't have their standalone movies, they're, they're mm-hmm. giving them their own series. Um, how do you think those, how do you think the, the theater releases and the Disney Plus series, um, how is that going to impact I guess, fan engagement, keeping fans engaged in everything. In other words, is it, mm. is it going to sort of be like what happened with uh, some of the ABC series and some of the Netflix series where people really only consumed the theater, sometimes they would consume the others, or do you think it's, a, it's something that can get fans to consume both platforms? I think fans are going to be consuming both platforms. They may end up being on the same platform depending on what happens with movie yeah. theaters, but I think that fans will consume both because what's very different about the Disney Plus series compared to ABC with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Netflix is one, Marvel Studios is actually making this. So the same people who have been in charge of the movies are the ones who are in charge of these series. That wasn't true of the Netflix shows. It wasn't true of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. other than, you know, Joss Whedon being a a co-creator of the series and an executive producer. But other than that, there wasn't really much Marvel Studios involvement. So, you know, it's Kevin Feige, who's the head of Marvel Studios and chief creative officer of all things Marvel now. He's the one who's in charge of these series. And the commitment is there for these series to really count. And I think that's something that was very different and maybe hurt the ABC and Netflix shows a bit, is if you watch those series, while you could say, and they had the tagline, it's all connected and this and, and this and that, and they would m- maybe refer to, and, and the, the TV shows would pay lip service to what was happening in the movies. The TV shows never really impacted the story in a meaningful way. Um, whereas if you, if you missed the TV shows, then there was something that wouldn't pay off for you in the movies. That was never true. You know, the, the TV shows had their Easter egg calling back to the movies, but the movies never called back the TV shows. We're told that's going to be different. So they obviously now have to do it, but we're featuring characters who are on the big screen. So we're not wondering when is Charlie Cox's Daredevil going to show up in the MCU. We're seeing Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch in WandaVision. We are seeing Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes, who we saw in the movies, they're going to be in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And characters like She-Hulk or Miss Marvel who are being, or Moon Knight who are being introduced in their own Disney Plus series they are going to be in the movies. And so I think because there will be much more of a, an exchange between the two, and it will actually be from each side, the small screen and the big screen, that's what's going to separate it, I think, from, well, most importantly, who's making it. Um, but secondly, uh, I think they will, there will actually be two-way communication between the series and the movies this time, as opposed to previously, where it was, uh, it was all one way. Okay. And what what do you think um marvel represents uh we you kind of touched on how what it represents to us and possibly what it represents in society but it's also really interesting that you have all of these um hollywood actors and actresses who are who sign up for multiple Mm -hmm. mcu projects and where it's almost become where it, it used to be unheard of now it, it's almost i'm not sure if it, it, it's the pinnacle of you know kind of big action movie um stardom where you can sign up with the mcu or whatever but um how do you th- i'm guess I, i'm asking how do you think the mcu got to where they are mm. where seemingly people are lining up to play these parts and they're playing parts on the silver screen and they're playing parts in Disney plus series now. And um, so how do you think that came about? 
I think it just happened over time. I mean, there have just been little moments along the way where just as a fan, I was delighted. Like one of the ones that always stands out to me is when Robert Redford signed on to be in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Like Robert Redford was an absolute legend. Like what is he doing in these movies? Like why? Like he would never even look at this. But I think that just showed that there are a lot of people who make assumptions about what the MCU is. But I think that the more over time, more and more people, including talent, have taken a look at it and seen that there's quality storytelling happening here. There is stuff that, as an actor, they can sink their, their teeth into. There are great scenes, like if you're Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, or you're an actor considering the MCU and you're looking at it, you don't just look at, oh, Captain America and Iron Man get to fight. Steve Rogers and Tony Stark get to go have an argument with each other at a conference table with like an FDR pen set, right? Like there are things that as an actor that you really look for to maybe challenge yourself that you can see that the MCU actually offers. And so, and it's funny though, because I think a lot of actors still have a lot of assumptions going into it because it's a very familiar talk track for an actor when they say, oh, when I joined the MCU, I thought it was this. And then I found out that it's actually this and it's better than I thought it was going to be which makes me wonder why they signed up in the first place, which leaves the only obvious answer being money. Um, but I think people are over time, and it's been over time. I mean, I think that we look at the MCU now, it's the biggest thing in the world, unquestionably the biggest movie franchise of all time, the numbers prove it. But I, I think all of that happened over time. Iron Man did not make a billion dollars. It made 540 some million dollars. Like it took a while for them to get to where they're at. And I think that just shows it took, there was some resistance of this is the same as every other superhero movie or franchise or whatever that's out there. And gradually people found out that there's actually more to it within this specific franchise. And then as far as being willing to sign up for Disney plus series and movies and, and kind of have that back and forth, I think some of that is Marvel. And then another part of that certainly has to be the evolution of the industry where I mean, I think that when I was growing up, it, there was definitely a line. There were film actors and TV actors, and you were a television actor if you didn't get to make it in movies, which is weird because a lot of TV actors made way more money. Um, but um, I think what was what's different now is the lines have kind of blurred because over the last 10 or so years, we've had you know what people have called the golden age of television. And then more specifically with streaming, it's created this hybrid where you have, you have the serialized nature of television, but you also have, you kind of have an endpoint with streaming and you don't have to do as many episodes. You don't have to fill up 22 weeks on the year for a network. You're just having to do six episodes, eight episodes, 10, 13, whatever it is. So it's as long as the story needs to be, and it's not going to be dragging or, or stalling for time to waste time. So I think that's part of what makes it more appealing to actors. And it also gives them more time to work with characters. Like for Falcon and Winter Soldier, I'm sure Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan get a lot of, are going to get a lot more scenes mm -hmm. where they're just talking and exploring their characters on deeper emotional levels than they would have had even in the film. So I, I think what you see in the MCU itself, is a hybrid. It's not traditional movie making because I mean, it has standalone stories, but they're also part of the serialized narrative. So the MCU has kind of been its own giant theatrical streaming series in a way, not totally, but in, in a way. And I think that also blends itself or, or lends itself into actors being, uh, you know, attracted to what they get to do in streaming. So it's a lot of different factors going into it, but the MCU itself, I think, is very appealing because more and more people are recognizing the quality of the storytelling and the character work, particularly for actors who get to play the characters. Okay. The, I want to transition a little bit and um, talk about kind of the fandom side of it. Mm -hmm. um, this being a class on fandom and what fandom means, um, one kind of example of fandom is people choosing to create content around different stories uh right your podcast people um going on go on youtube and watch um the different fan made movies that people have made um about you know many different uh marvel dc star wars um that i want to ask your impressions of the fan 
kind of how how fans react um mm-hmm. and also just an observation of what fandom is or what fandom means to the MCU and um then we'll we'll kind of go from there yeah well i mean i think fandom at its best means community because it should be about sharing your enthusiasm and your passion for this thing and it should be in a positive way i mean of course i'm not naive and i've been expressing myself and expressing my opinions online for 12 years (laughs) very publicly (laughs) so i know that not everybody reacts positively within a fandom community but i also think that for some of the negative talk that's out there about fandom, I think a lot of that is derived from a very, very vocal minority of fans. And what I have found over the years in in myself with doing this is that for most people, fandom just means they want to engage with this thing that they like, and they want to engage with people who also kind of get it. And I would just, you know, add as a note to your class here, as you said, you know, many of them became Marvel fans through the MCU. And I would want all of them to know that your experience finding the MCU, however you found it, Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Panther, Infinity War, Endgame, Captain Marvel, whatever it was, your experience of getting here is just as valid as anyone else's. I don't really go by terms like real fans, bigger fans, this and that. If you're a fan, you're a fan, that's it. As long as you, you know, treat other, your fellow fans with kindness and respect, like you're good with me, Um, Because I think that's what it's about is maximizing your engagement and your enjoyment. Because I think for those of us, when you really like something, it's not the thing of you watch the movie and then you just don't think about it again. Mm -hmm. You watch the movies and you're thinking about the movies and other people are thinking about it and you want to talk about it. That's where a lot of podcasting started. I mean, I've been podcasting before everybody was forced to stay home and got bored. Like I was doing it (laughs) when you know, people were kind of inventing their own radio shows to talk about stuff that they didn't get to hear about in in talk radio because the thought was it wasn't popular enough and now turns out it kind of is. And so that's the way I I look at it is fandom offers an opportunity to come together and share and explore these stories. And I think what's beautiful about it is that, and and where maybe it turns adversarial, yep, some people get into rivalries of I like this brand, you like that brand, which doesn't make any sense because we're the ones spending the money, not making it, but doesn't really matter. (laughs) But I think where, you know, you have to kind of see above that is why do you like this in the first place? Like if you like this in the first place, because it's something that you enjoy, that entertains you, then you want to have that positive approach to it. At least I know I do. And so even when I disagree with somebody, I never view it as like when you're going to have a conversation about a film, I like this film, you like that film, or you have differing opinions on a film. Some people approach it as there's going to be a winner and a loser in the debate and it's completely subjective. So you can't have a winner and you can't have a loser. Uh, There's no scoreboard for it. The goal of it is really to have a better understanding of each side's opinion on it. So if I find myself with my co-host Paul, like if I find myself in a debate with him, about a movie, it's not so much about I'm trying to change his mind or he's trying to change mine. It's just that we're each having a deeper exploration of how we feel. So I may not ultimately agree with what he says, but at least now I have a better understanding of where he's coming from. And he's got a better understanding of where I'm coming from. And collectively, we have a better understanding of how we feel about this film and also get different perspectives on the film that might make you like the movie even more or maybe a little bit less or whatever it is. So to me, it's really just about exploring that thing that you like and it's not that different than anything else i mean i think what we've seen now hopefully is normalizing the idea of engaging with these stories in this way because uh, i've got news for you if you play fantasy football that's as nerdy as anything that's ever happened so um you know i think we see that across the board whether it's things that are have historically been more socially acceptable to be Mm-hmm. A, a big fan of or, or whatever or be very engaged in whether that's sports or something else now that's happening with movies and, and pop culture um but i think what people are really really craving is that sense of belonging and that sense of community i think that's what most people want and i think that's what most people get out of it some people maybe want something else uh, you know using it to get some other form of validation that they just feel like they need in their life and it's unfortunate when that happens but um, you know, I, I think for the most part, people just really want to come together and, and share, honestly, share their joy. Yeah. So on that note, can you tell us more about what the podcast is, 
um, what you two do on the podcast? Yeah. So, I mean, what we do on the podcast, I mean, obviously we talk about anything, you know, the latest news and, and we review the movies and, and we go into detail, but I, I think what we try to do and, and what we end up doing more of on the podcast is really breaking down and analyzing these stories and these characters and, and how they affect us and why, because I think so much of this is, is, you know, or so much of the attention obviously goes towards the hype of marketing the next Thing. And we'll always talk about the next thing, obviously, but we also like to really explore the content that we have because we don't view these stories as disposable. And I think our, our audience feels the same way. I mean, you can't, you're not going to take the time to listen to an MCU themed podcast unless you really like the MCU. And it's more for you than just a quick little two, two and a half hour distraction at a time and then back, you know, back about your business, back about your life. So, you know, we, we like to dive into why does this matter to us and really examining these characters' choices and their emotional journeys and their various character arcs. And also, we like to go back and look at our own journeys because mm -hmm. I, I think that you can find a lot and more than you would think if you consider kind of where you were in your life emotionally and the things you were dealing with at the time maybe you saw a certain Marvel movie for the first time and maybe how that impacted you. Um, not that everybody always thinks about them in that way, but if you start thinking about that and if you start examining those things, you'll really start to find just how deeply these movies and stories have been, uh, have been affecting you. And I'm really glad you said that because that part of being a fan is, um, like you said, wanting to engage with something, wanting to engage with others who, who like that, but also um it is so much to do with what it means to you mm -hmm. and what a particular whether it is a, a park a character a particular story or movie um, what that means to you and a lot of that is has to do with where you were in your life when you can mm -hmm. first consumed that um and i i think that's extremely Interesting. One thing that I've I've noticed um, now with in game behind us, phase, mm -hmm. and we're moving on to phase four. Um, and it almost, you know, I, I know Marvel planned to go almost a year without a release because it almost need to needed to be this reset. Right. That you just had this huge saga closed out and you, you need to reset. Um, sort of reset expectations and everything. And then as it is, um, you know, we've had a longer layoff. Right. Um, and so I, I think in some ways that just makes people more thirsty for when Black Widow comes out. I, I, I know there, you know, there was a debate over, hey, just please just give us Black Widow on Disney Plus, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, and so, but one thing that I think is interesting, I want to get your input on quickly is, um, do you think, how do you think fandom is going to change from here on out with regarding the MCU? Like one thing that um, I grew up watching Star Wars and I grew up, um, I was born right after the original trilogy, but those, those are what I grew up with. And so you have your camps, you know, your, your camps of fandom within Star Wars, you're the original right. trilogy, and those are one, two, three, not four, five, six. And you have, right. you know, your one, two, three. And, and I think one thing that really happens within that fandom is you, you have kind of these, these, these segments of fans, if you will and these clicks and it's never going to be as good as four, five, six for people who grew up on there. It's never going to be as good as one, two, three right. for people who grew up on those. One thing that was so interesting about Marvel is it was, it was a new concept connecting mm -hmm. all of these stories, but now it's not a new concept anymore. And other properties have tried to do the same thing with varying success. Um, do you think it gets more difficult for the MCU to be what the MCU is now? Um, are fans going to be more critical? Um, 
And if so, also kind of what is your advice for people watching MCU movies? Um, well, my advice for MCU or anything else is um, what I do, even as somebody who is a massive fan of these things um, and spends most of his time talking about these movies, even you know, before they come out and whatever, and, and thinking about and speculating what they're going to be, and also how much I loved what came before. I always have this kind of meditation moment before I watch any of these movies to just let all that go to like just let it kind of float away in my mind because I do think that every every story deserves to be evaluated on its own terms. And so that that tends to be my process and I recommend that in general MCU or otherwise. But I certainly understand there is that question of will kind of the Infinity Saga be like the you know prime MCU for one group of fans and and maybe they won't embrace the next phase of movies or next era as much as the previous one. And I think that while that is a challenge, and I think the longer you go and the more stories you tell, the harder it gets because the, the more ground you've already covered, so you can't, do that, you can't do those things anymore. So you always have to come up with new stuff and new characters to engage audiences in different ways that they still enjoy and still connect with. So that the job always gets harder, but I think that challenge is is different for the MCU and and there's a challenge that I think Star Wars has faced that the MCU won't because I think what's very different about Star Wars are all the stops and starts. You had three movies and then nothing and then you had three more movies and then nothing and then three movies plus spin-offs and or Star Wars stories and then you know now back to well I mean we've had Disney Plus with Mandalorian but you had all these stops and starts and kind of what happens particularly with fans of the original trilogy, just for dime store psychoanalysis though, is that they love a thing and they don't have new content to engage with other than, I know there were books and comics with Star Wars and stuff, but on the movie side, nothing new for so long. So all you have is this reverence that builds up and up and up and up and up and up and up. And so by the time you get to a new set of movies, there is no way, no movie can live up to what you now have in your head because not only did you love it when you saw it, but you've been thinking about how much you love it for the past 15 years without anything else to really consider and evaluate. The MCU has been a fairly constant presence. We get new movies, new stories every single year. And so we don't just have any one particular story that we revere and just add, we just pile on all that reverence so that nothing else can measure up. And I think what's also unique about the MCU is while we talk about how popular it is, so much of that fandom for the MCU has come on board within the last few years. So even though they love Endgame and, and Black Panther and, and Infinity War, and they've gone back and maybe they love the Cap films and the Iron Man films, they're not, they're not so, it's not like they've been attached for the entire decade and they can't accept anything new. They're kind of coming, they've come aboard in these last few years. So I think they're ready to go along with that transition. And then if we just look at the seeds that have been planted, Black Panther in his first movie made more money than any superhero has ever made in a solo movie. So if Black Panther is kind of the leader of the next era for Marvel films, they're going to be just fine. And Captain Marvel as well. Captain Marvel made over $1.1 billion in her first film. Nobody else did that. So uh, besides, you know, Black Panther. So like it's, I think you see we've already kind of been witnessing the relay race. Like we, and that's the other huge difference is we got to see the handoff. Like we saw Iron Man, Captain, and Captain, Iron Man and Captain America kind of passing the baton. I know Thor's still around, so I was gonna include him, but I guess I can't yet. But we saw Iron Man and Cap pass the baton to Black Panther and Captain Marvel. And also one last point about this as far as the, the continued engagement with the audience is when we've seen very big transitions for characters like Tony Stark and, and Steve Rogers. Like it's the opposite. If you look at where they're at in civil war, each of those characters are on the opposite end of the spectrum that they were in their first movies. Mm -hmm. Now cap couldn't wait to, to join the military. And now he's the one saying government oversight, no way. Tony is telling a Senate hearing committee, you know, basically to go to hell during iron man two. And then he's now the one saying government oversight, let sign me up. Like, 
that makes sense because we saw how that happened in the MCU. Whereas I think with a Star Wars comparison, you Luke Skywalker is one guy at the end of Return of the Jedi. You see him in Last Jedi. Seems like a completely different guy because you didn't see the transition. Yeah. Um, the MCU, you're seeing it all the way. So you don't have these things where it, you just have this huge disconnect of how this character got here. You see it as it happens. You see one era handing off to the next era. And I think that is what makes Marvel uniquely positioned to succeed. It doesn't change the point that it's always more challenging to keep telling stories and keep an audience engaged. But I don't think they face quite the same challenge that Star Wars and other franchises have. Okay. Um, and if, if, you, if you will, um, because these are things that we debate and we discuss in class and we have votes on. Um, sure. If you, can, if you can go along with a few more questions. Um, I can. You, you being a fan of the, the comics as well, you said your favorite Marvel character is Hulk. Um, uh, growing up, Hulk, not so much anymore, but yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then, then what, it, what is your favorite character from the comics now? Um, well, I, I, I would probably, on the comic side, I would probably still just say Hulk because that's where it started. But, you know, people ask me for my favorite MCU character all the time. And, and my, my answer is a non-answer. It's everyone. I mean, I, I honestly, okay. I think that's the beauty of the MCU is it's pretty much turned everybody. It's gotten me past the idea of favorite characters. It's like, they're, you know, just like, I don't have favorite friends, maybe a few, but like I just <laughs> have, you know. I look at all these characters as like my friends and my family in a weird in a weird way. So it's like I just I love all of them. Like I said, I mean I don't I don't care about Nebula any less than I care mm -hmm. about Tony Stark or Steve Rogers. She's awesome. Okay. They so then this this may be a little difficult for you, and I'll let you define it how you want. Sure. But best MCU hero. Best MCU hero. Uh, I mean, it could almost, I mean, it's, it's a really tough thing. It's almost a three-way tie photo finish between Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, and Thor, just because of the journey that we've seen them go on. Um, but I think for now, I'm probably going to go with Thor because okay. I think I'll, I'll give him a very, very small edge that I'll probably take back next time I'm asked the question. But I, I think with Thor, his journey um, certainly has one of my favorite moments in, uh, from, uh, from a performance standpoint with Chris Hemsworth, the conversation with Rocket in Infinity yes. War, where he kind of recaps everything that he's yep. lost. And you're just like, wait a minute. Yeah, Thor's lost more than anybody here. Yeah. Um, of all the people who were close to him, who he's seen die uh, over the course of all these different adventures and, and all of these stories. And, and I, and I like that he kind of had that moment in Infinity War where he messed up. And he has to still find a way to still be worthy and come back from that in Avengers Endgame. So I do think that all of their stories are beautiful, but there's something really, really uh, poetic and, and wonderful about Thor's journey so far in the MCU. And I'm excited to see him again in Love and Thunder. Well, and one of my favorite scenes from Endgame is where him and Rocket travel back to Asgard and mm -hmm. he gets Mjolnir again. Yeah. And that his, I mean, just a great scene by Chris Hemsworth where, you know, yep. he says, I'm still worthy. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, we talked about how um, a lot of fandom deals with where you are in your life when you see that. And right. um, just uh, watching that thinking, man, how much does this mean to people? And then reading afterwards, all the people talking about, Hey, it was great that we didn't have a superhero who was, you know, flawless we had a very right. flawed superhero and and physically flawed superhero mm -hmm. um that you know that was so powerful to people so then um again define it as you will best mcu villain thanos thanos I, that one's easier to answer thanos is uh, i think the best mcu villain i get that loki's the most fun but loki by the end of it is almost not a villain anymore i mean he certainly had i mean he's still done a lot of bad stuff but he has his <laughs> redemption arc and kind of gets his final even if it's futile you know moments against yeah. thanos in infinity war but i think thanos is the ultimate big bad i don't just think he's the best mcu villain he's one of the best villains ever in all of movies i, I think that when you look at that character the way he was built up over time but then also when you finally saw him hitting the ground running and avengers infinity war <laughs> 
there's just a presence to him. It's just, it's immediate and he's intimidating. But then the more you see this character, I think throughout Infinity War and Endgame, I think it's, it's his conviction that makes him so compelling. Yeah. You know, that was, the, that was the thing that Coulson says, you know, when he fires back at Loki in Avengers, like, you lack conviction. Well, Thanos had it. Anything that was asked of Thanos in order to achieve his goal he did it. So if that was sacrificing his daughter that he loved, which was horrible, by the way, yeah. I'm not like endorsing it, but it showed his conviction of this is how bad he wanted it. And this is how much he believed that he was doing the right thing, even though it was wrong and mathematically doesn't make sense. So he was doing, he, he believed in what he was doing. And also what it's not so much the sacrifice on Bormir and infinity war. It's his reaction to seeing his own death in Avengers Endgame. Yeah. And when he watches himself get beheaded by Thor, there's no shock on his face. There's no fear. There's no disappointment. It's a smile. That is destiny fulfilled. It doesn't matter to him that he doesn't live forever. It doesn't matter that somebody eventually takes him out. All that matters is he achieved his goal, and that is enough for him to feel like he had a fulfilling life. He doesn't need it to go on forever. So that shows that as crazy as Thanos is, as evil as he is, that's how deeply he believes in what he's doing. Well, and Thanos also... Um had a gave me a pretty interesting um fatherly lesson yesterday um there's a ton of interesting parenting lessons with mcu or with marvel properties in general because they teach good things um but then you know they're they're also you you want your you don't you don't know if you want your small children watching some of the things that go on right. you know um right. but yesterday one of uh one of my sons was playing with a Thanos bobblehead and mm. was asking about Thanos. And um, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? And it was kind of like, well, I, he thought he was doing good. He, he, he right. thought in his mind, he thought he was justified. And, but you know, to everyone else, he was a bad guy. And, and so it was one of those interesting kind of mm -hmm. dilemmas uh, to talk about. So then best MCU movie. Um, best is a tough one. I'll just say my favorite is Avengers Endgame. Um, I don't really have, uh, cause I can't really do, um, like a ranking of MCU movies, which I know I host a fan show, so I should be able to rank <laughs> things cause it's very popular to do that, but I can't really do that cause some of that's reductive and, and it also forces you to split hairs and, and start nitpicking movies to say, this is why this one is whatever. Um, so I, I do have like kind of my my classes of Marvel movies, like the Marvel masterpieces, like the best of the best in the MCU, and then like the very good stuff, and even the stuff that's more bottom of the barrel that I still like, like Thor: The Dark World or Iron Man Two. Um, but Endgame is my favorite because I mean, but Endgame is my favorite because it's also powered by all of the other yeah. movies. I mean, it's paying off so many different things, but. I mean, just the emotional catharsis of Avengers Endgame. I mean, we talk about what these movies are about. Endgame is how you respond to grief, how you respond to loss and tragedy, like when you can't undo it because they can't undo what happened. Because even though they bring everybody back, they're still not technically undoing everything. So like, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with a loss that you feel like you can't come back from? That's what Avengers Endgame is all about. And I think they tell that story beautifully. And then when you get to those moments, you get to the final battle, and cap wielding Mjolnir or portals and Avengers assemble. I mean, is there like, Oh, did you cry during this moment? Pretty much once the hammer comes off the ground, like I'm crying the whole time. <laughs> like it just, I, there's something about that that was just also beautiful. And then going back to you carry through, I mean, portals and Avengers assembles amazing, but then even Tony with, I am Iron Man in that moment, calling all the way back to the very end of the first film. And I just can't help but feel like I'm so proud of this guy. Like, I don't know Tony Stark. He's not a real guy. But I'm so proud of this dude for this journey that he's been on and this sacrifice that he's making in this moment when he's sacrificing, when there's more at stake than there's ever been with him having a wife and a daughter now. And he's still making this sacrifice. So uh, Endgame being such a beautiful film. And also, as much as I love Infinity War, I got to give Endgame the edge when it's the one that heroes win. Like I'm rooting for the Avengers, not Thanos. So I'm I'm gonna have a slight edge of preference toward the movie where they uh, they beat him. Yeah. Um. Uh. One. One more question or two more questions. Um. What being a fan of the comics as well, mm -hmm. what story that is not in the MCU so far 
What story are you most excited about? You're most looking forward to? Um, I mean, nothing really that big because one thing about the MCU is they don't, they don't adapt any of the stories like for like. So there's no comic book story where I say, give me that one in the MCU. I mean, there are definitely elements of secret wars where the heroes get transported to like battle world and they kind of have to fight each other. And like, and that's when the Russo brothers has, have, have called out as something that the directors of Endgame and infinity war and winter soldier and civil war, they've talked about maybe wanting to do secret wars. And that was one that was kind of a big deal as I was growing up. I mean, I, I was still a little late to it because it was happening kind of as I was being born. So like going back and catching up on that at all the action figures from secret wars um, but it still needs a lot of work because narratively, like it's not that compelling. It's kind of a cool idea, but there's a lot of work to do. Avengers versus X-Men as a more recent story that would be exciting, but that story has to be so far out because you have to take all the time first to yeah. introduce the X-Men, have me care about them and, and have them matter in the universe and build up to that point. Because you don't want to, just like Civil War, you can't start the MCU with that movie. Like you have to build to it. and so. Secret Wars and Avengers vs. X-Men are definitely on my radar, but the one thing I, I always say, because it's, it's just been true of the MCU historically, nothing's ever like for like. So whatever they're going to do, it's going to be the MCU version of that, just like Civil War. It's the MCU version of that. It's not, the, it's not like the comic book. There's some similarities, but plenty of differences. And Infinity War and Endgame, they borrow from Infinity Gauntlet or Infinity, other Marvel stories, but they're, not, they're still so different from what those are in the comic books. So, and, and I, I prefer that as a fan. I don't want uh, any of the stories that I like to be directly adapted because I already know what happens. And I like not knowing what yeah. happens in the Marvel movies. I like to be as surprised as I can be when I see them the first time. Okay. The, so here is, um, I just finished watching um, in chronological order. Um, had a challenge with my sister and my nephew. Mm. Best you think the best way to watch the MCU movies in chronological order, um, which people would have to look up or yeah. in order of release, which people would also have to look up as well, but best way to watch those movies. I like to go by order of release and maybe that's just a little bit of OCD of like, this is the way it happened. So this is the, way, <laughs> this is the way I saw it. Um, I don't know. I prefer release order because I don't necessarily need the narrative to be linear Mm -hmm. the entire time and also you can't really achieve chronological order like I know there was a guy who like during all of this quarantine like figured out yeah. if you start yeah. this movie here and stop here and this and then you go to here and there and that's a lot of work so unless you're willing to do all of that and by the way you lose all sense of the story if you yeah. cut around like that so chronological order you can't really do it anyway because some of the movies jump back and forth at different points in time but I like the release order because maybe it just reminds me and it helps me relive the journey. That was how I saw all of these movies. I saw all of them in theaters. And so this was the order I got to see them in. And so it, I always just end up just going back, uh, you know, just falling back into that. So release order is my preference, but I totally get if somebody else chooses chronological. I don't think there's a bad way to watch MCU movies. Yeah. I just, as a matter of preference, though, I go release order. And I'm, a, I'm about to start watching release order. Um, because one thing I noticed with chronological order, one thing I love about the MCU is the end credit scenes and the mid credit scenes. Yeah. Um, because some of them are drop down scenes from the upcoming movie, I know, like right. Captain America to Avengers. But um, there are some of those end credit scenes that are two years in advance, or two or three movies yeah. in the future. And it's, a, it's amazing to see all how everything is interconnected. So um i i'm about to start watching release order to to see which one i prefer and um that'll also be something that we discuss in the class when get everyone's perspectives on so um well i could ask you a thousand more questions but thank you so much for this of course um, we we give um information and links to in the syllabus where to find people but please mm -hmm. um tell the students where, if they're, they're interested, where they could find you, um, podcasts and everything. Sure, yeah, anywhere you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, if you search MCU Fan Show, you'll see us. Um, and then it's, the social handles are all MCU Fan Show, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. 
uh, you can find the show in all those spots. So yeah, and if you find that, then you, you've basically found me. That's mainly what I'm doing. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Sean. This was awesome. Um, and as I said, the, we, uh, I very much appreciate it. The students are um, going to really, really like this discussion. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for watching. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haver. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining us and listening and to say that I hope you found the information, whether content covered in class or interviews with guests, fun, informational, entertaining, and even inspiring. If you want to follow along with the class, you can do so by following me on Twitter at CHaverPhD. That's C-H-A-V. A-R-D, Ph-D, or by joining the public group on Facebook, Being a Fan of Disney. If you want to engage with any of the guests we've had in class, their contact information is included in each of the show notes. So again, thank you for joining us. It was a great time having you. If you like what you hear, please share this out so other people can engage with the information, possibly learn more about their Disney fandom and their love for all things Disney related. With that, Thank you again and have a great day.